predominantly, I will read from 1 Kings 11. If you have your Bible, you can pull that up if you just want to know where I'm coming from. Um, and uh, let me adjust my mic level here just slightly. Last week we had a, uh, a great service, heard a great message from Melissa Frost on the life cycle of promise, and uh, it was a very timely message. If you did not get a chance to hear it or if you haven't seen it, uh, go and watch it. It can be found on our website, branches.faith, media page. Uh, today, today I feel to, to stay in that same kind of vein. I'm going to talk about promises, the theme of promises, and God has been dealing with me for some time about what I'm going to preach today, uh, and what I have found is that when God deals with me, he's usually dealing with me and then deals with the church, and so I feel it's very timely for our church body, what she preached and now what I'm going to preach, and so I pray that this is a wake-up call uh, to anyone who hears. Uh, you may be seated. We'll get into the Bible here in just a minute. The past year of tension and turmoil has been a very revealing year. It's been revealing for me. There's nothing quite like chaos or tragedy or pressure that brings us to a place of revealing. It, it has this way of just stripping away some things, some things that we thought were important or no longer as important, some things that we put emphasis on or no longer needed to be emphasized. And it has this way of just revealing. There's a process of revealing. And it has revealed to me in my own life areas that need strengthening. And I'm sure it has done the same for you in your life and in your walk with God. And I'm very sure going forward, the true church and true believer will be distinguished by God from the rest of the world. We're in a time and going into a time when what people have traditionally relied on to show them as being spiritual people is being taken off the table. Those things that we've relied on to think that's a person of faith, those all of the facade and all of the constructs of this world, those things are being shaken and taken down. And we're coming to a time soon when emotionalism will not keep a person. It won't keep a person in church because it's not emotionalism. While I, I like the emotion of church and I like the excitement of church, that is not what the kingdom of God is about. It's about having the authority and the anointing and the power and the unction of God working in our lives. And the outsider will see through it in a person's life if they're basing everything on emotionalism. The outsider will see through it if a church is basing it on just getting together and having good church on a Sunday. Having good church on Sunday, and I love to have good church, will not keep you through the week. That doesn't sustain you. You must have a personal walk with God. The praying people will be revealed. The people who claim to pray will be revealed. And people who do not pray will be shook to the core of their foundation. All substitutions are going to be shown to be what they are, simply 
substitutions. We're seeing this already in the church world. There are churches I can take you by today that there's no one in the parking lot, no one's having church, no worship is happening. An authentic move of the Spirit, a commitment to God, regardless of comfort and resolve to, of the true believer in the face of pressure is what's going to become the identifier of true believers as we progress through this time frame. And I can't tell you how quickly that's going to be, but what I can tell you is it is happening. We see it unfolding before us and before our eyes in this last day. So today I want to preach to you about the destruction of a promise. The reason I'm preaching about the destruction of a promise is because I want to sound a warning to us that we have promises, but they can easily be taken from in front of us. Not because the enemy decides, but because we allow the promise to be taken. It's not that the enemy is so strong that he can take in, come in and take and rip from you the promises God has put in your future, but there are some promise killers that if we're not aware of, they will come into our life and they will rob us of what God is wanting to do. And so that we're clear, I want you to understand, the church is entering into its greatest hour and the readiness of the church depends solely on us. These are some things that will destroy the promise of God that God has for you. That's what I'm going to talk about today. So 1 Kings chapter 12 is where I spend most of my time, but I want to start by reading a promise that was given to a soon-to-be king of Israel in 1 Kings chapter 11. Verse 29 through 32, it says this, Now it happened at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahiah the Shilonite met him on the way, and he had clothed himself with a new garment, and two were alone in the field. The two of them are alone in the field. And then Ahiah took hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into 12 pieces. Now, this is a significant action because clothing in that time was expensive. You didn't have too many pairs of garments. You had just a few pieces, and that was it. It's not like now where we have, you know, we can buy something and never even wear it and get rid of it. Who's done that? I've done that. You thought you would like it, and then you put it on, and you're like, ugh. And you're, like me, too lazy to go to the store to return it, right? Or we have these ambitions that I'll put that on one day and wear it. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. This was a significant action. He tore that clothing apart. This was a sign. We're going to talk about this being a sign. He tore it into 12 pieces, verse 31. He said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give ten tribes to you. Verse 32, but he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. So we know there are 12 tribes of Israel. And he says here, there are 10 going to go to Jeroboam, one for Solomon's heir, who was Rehoboam. And the only reason Rehoboam was going to get the one was because of a promise to David. God was going to maintain that promise because David was faithful in his eyes. 
And so he would not take from him the entire kingdom. One of those tribes, because there's 12, we got 10 and one, one's missing. One, the Levites were considered the Lord's and they were supposed to be loyal to God only. So they were a representation of the portion of what was God's. And so you have 11 tribes in the play before the king of Israel. And the Lord said he's going to take from Solomon and give to Jeroboam. Verse 37, so I will take you and you shall reign over all your heart desires and you shall be king over Israel. Then it shall be, if you heed all that I command you, walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight to keep my statutes and my commandments as my servant David did, then I will be with you and build for you an enduring house as I built for David and will give Israel to you. This is the promise of the Lord for Jeroboam. He said, if, you, if you'll be like my servant David, if you'll walk with me, if you will do all that I command you, if you will walk in my ways, follow me, do what's right in my sight, not what's right in your sight, but do what's right in my sight, you'll keep my statutes and my commandments, then I have these results that I'll give to you, I'll be with you, and I'll build for you an enduring house just like I built for David. God was removing the kingdom from Solomon and the reason was because Solomon in his heart had turned by the influences that he allowed in his life to the world and turned his back on God. 1 Kings 11, 1 through 2 gives us the story, but King Solomon loved many foreign women as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel. Notice this, what the Lord said. You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. It's a warning for all to not fall in love and be moved by the things in the world. Because whatever has your affection, whatever is touching your heart, that thing exerts a level of influence over you that often we don't realize or recognize that it is doing in our lives. I may be the head of the household at the Coon residence, but my wife is the neck. And the neck has the ability to turn the head. She exerts some influence over my life. Why? Because of my affection for her, because I love her. And what you love will influence you. That's why Paul gave the warning and said, Love not the world or the things in the world. Because those things will influence your life. That's what happens. I've seen many friends who love something in the world so much that they became influenced by it and they eventually turned their back on God because of that influence. And because of the influences that Solomon entertained in his heart and in his life, his heart was turned away from God. Now Solomon was the wisest man ever, but even the wisdom that God had blessed him with could not keep him from turning toward the influences that the world offered because he continued to entertain them. 
So if you're here this morning and you continue to entertain the influences of the world, you need to take a hard look and a second look and determine what things do I need to get out of my life that may potentially be influencing me. Because those influences can eventually destroy what God has already done in your life. Because Solomon's life was this art of doing and pleasing the things that God wanted him to do. Pleasing God. But eventually by the end of his life when that is the only thing that matters the end of his life it was that he had done evil in the sight of God what a warning Solomon wouldn't repent so God said wait a minute I'm not going to let my people be pulled away from me I have a plan So God would divide Israel into two kingdoms. And because of this promise to Jeroboam, Solomon sought to step in and intervene. He didn't want to lose his power and he didn't want to lose what he had built or felt like he had built for himself. He did not see God as being the architect. He saw himself as being the architect. So in verse 40 of 1 Kings 11, it says, Solomon therefore sought to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt to Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. So think about Jeroboam, and I I feel like we can relate to this because Jeroboam receives a promise that he is going to be king. He receives a promise, God says, I'm going to fulfill this in your life, and if you will, Do what I'm asking you to do. If you'll do the things that please me, if you'll walk in my way, if you'll follow me, I will establish for you the same thing that I established for David. And I'll give you Israel for the rest of your life. Jeroboam must have felt as though those prophesied promises were never going to happen. He must have felt like that promise was being ripped away from him. There's no way that as a person in Egypt, he can have the promise fulfilled. Probably the people in Israel don't even think about Jeroboam. He's off in Egypt. And now they're seeing the transition of a new king from Solomon to Rehoboam. Here's the thing. The promise that you have in your life will always be tested. It will always be tested. And that doesn't matter if it's just your faith in God. It doesn't matter if it's the promises that He's given you that He says He's going to fulfill in your family. It doesn't matter if it's the promises that He's going to take care of you and provide supply or that He would eventually do a miracle in your life that you've been asking Him to do. The promise will always be tested your faith in the promise giver will be tested will God do when it looks like it's not going to will God do what he said he was going to do when it looks like it's so far away and I'm over in Egypt and the promise is back in Israel is God going to do what he said he would do Jeroboam finally hears of Solomon's death 
And he returns. He returns to an Israel that is transitioning to Rehoboam. Now his life is no longer in threat. There's, there's no nothing in conversation in Scripture about Rehoboam deciding he's going to kill Jeroboam until a little bit later. But he lives in relative peace for a minute. But Rehoboam, what Jeroboam returns to with Rehoboam becoming king is a dispute over taxes. Solomon had raised taxes to a point where he could take all of that money and do some things around Israel, building up the kingdom. But it had become a heavy tax burden. And so Rehoboam, when he becomes king, the elders come to him and they say, will you relieve and release this tax burden, lower the taxes back to the place where they were at so that the people can have some pressure off of them? Rehoboam said, no, I'm not going to. He said, as a matter of fact, you feel like you're under a heavy weight now. My little pinky is going to be the size of Solomon's waist. You are under a heavy load, but I'm going to put you under a bigger load. And so this is what Jeroboam returns to, a dispute over taxes. And because of this dispute, the kingdom split, and Jeroboam is made king in the north. Ten tribes walk away from the kingdom of Israel. Verse 20 in chapter 12, Now it came to pass when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had come back, they sent for him and called him to the congregation and made him king over all Israel. There was none who followed the house of David but the tribe of Judah only. Because of this situation, God brought to happen exactly what he had promised would happen. But even though the promise had happened, there were still some promise killers working in the life of Jeroboam. We read about them in 1 Kings 12, 26 through 27. Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. If you remember God's promise, it was that first the kingdom would be ripped from Solomon. Ten tribes would come to Jeroboam. And then if Jeroboam trusted God, if he would follow in his ways, if he delighted the Lord, then that kingdom would be safe under Jeroboam's reign and would be established going forward. But there was a problem in Jeroboam's life. Fear spoke louder than God's promise. Fear spoke louder than the things God had assured him of. Fear spoke into his ear. And because of fear, he looked around and he said, You know, the kingdom is right there on the south. One tribe is already with them. And every year they go down there to worship in the, in the temple in Jerusalem. And because of their constant interaction with that king and that country, they're eventually going to turn on me and they may kill me and go right back there. And so in response, Jeroboam creates a new religion. 1 Kings 12, 28 through 29. Therefore the king asked advice, made two calves of gold and said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. 
and he set one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Now he sees what's unfolding, and he thinks they could go back. And instead of trusting God, he devises his own method of trying to keep the people loyal to him. He turned in one fell swoop, he turned on God because of fear. Fear will do something in your life that you'll end up regretting the action because of it. And so Jeroboam appeals to the people through convenience. You don't have to go so far. Here, I'll make you some new gods. And he hearkens back to that time coming right out of Egypt when they built those golden, the golden calf. He builds two of them. And he taps into a spirit that was working in the kingdom of Israel and in his own life that he did not realize was there. Now here's the warning. We may not be like Jeroboam and create a whole entire new religion. But what happens oftentimes is we take the religion that's in front of us and we can massage it into such a place that it's actually ineffective in our lives. There were two killers that were working in Jeroboam's life. The first was fear. But the second that goes less noticed most of the time is convenience. There was some convenience there to say, hey, we don't have to go all the way to Jerusalem. We don't have to go all the way to the temple of God where God said to come and worship Him. We can be convenient in our worship. And so he set them up noticeably at Bethel. Bethel is the house of the Lord. That's what Bethel means, the house of the Lord. And he set it up in Dan. Now Dan was a city in the north, and it was close to where the majority of the people lived in Israel. And so he was putting it in a close, convenient place where they would not go to Jerusalem to worship. Bethel, the house of the Lord, was in the south, and it was right on the border. It led to Jerusalem, where if you were going to worship in Jerusalem, you would have to pass right by this place. And so anyone supposed to take their worship to the house of the Lord, they would be going by and they would see Bethel. And they would say, you know what? I don't have to go all the way down there. I'll turn in here. The other thing he did is he went and he removed all of the Levites in the priesthood and he gave them instead new priests of his own choosing. No doubt they were priests that wouldn't push back against what Jeroboam was wanting to do with the new country. And then they went a step further. They built a new altar. And so you see this work of substitution. Substitute for God. A substitute for the house of God. A substitute for the voice of God. A substitute for God-ordained leadership. And interestingly enough, all of the spiritual leaders abandoned the northern kingdom. They said, well, if you're going to do this and you won't listen to us, then we're just going to remove our voice from your lives. And so they abandoned. Ten tribes lost their spiritual influences because... Of substitution. They substituted an altar and a sacrifice. It was all because of fear and convenience. And I'm afraid fear and convenience are killing the promises that God has for His people. Fear and convenience are killing the promises that God has for you. 
God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. 1 Timothy 1 and 7. And trust me, fear is a spirit. And fear is working in this world today. Fear is operating. Fear is trying to attach itself to your life. And it's not just the, well, I notice and I'm uncertain about some things. There is a spirit. The word there used for spirit of fear is pneuma. It's the same word used for Holy Spirit. It is the antithesis. It is the opposite of trusting God. It is a spirit of fear. The other spirit at work is that of convenience. They put worship in Bethel and Dan, but they didn't stop there. Convenience had to go a little bit further. And so as you read, you'll find that they built places of worship in the high places, and that means on the mountaintops. And these were established so that they'd be right down the road from communities. We'll go up to the mountain and we'll establish worship there. Because even going to Dan is too far. Convenience. A spirit of convenience. Where did all of this come from? 1 Kings 12, 28. Therefore the king asked advice. Now that word advice, that makes you think that he turned to someone like If I told you to ask someone some advice, you would turn to them and say, hey, can you help me, right? You would seek counsel. That's not what this means. When you study into the original language, it doesn't mean that the king went to other people and asked for wisdom and he was listening to the wrong voices. In the original, it literally says the king took counsel of his own heart. He took counsel of what his own heart was telling him. He was deceived within himself because of his heart. It's a third person verb that's used there, meaning he planned it. He sat down, he took counsel of his own heart, and he planned it. He devised all of this by himself. And so Jeroboam devised and shaped a religion for his own purpose. People do that. They look at scripture and they say, you know, this, this, I'm having a hard time with this portion of the text right here. I'm not sure what God meant. It just seems a little bit harsh. So I'm going to ignore that. I'll just take the parts I love and I enjoy and the parts that meet my need and feed me. And they take the word of God and they shape a religion For their own purpose. But God never blesses that. God never blesses it. True religion was of no interest to Jeroboam. He wanted useful religion. And that's what I see a danger in our world right now. It's a perversion of what is true. People want useful religion. How can I fit this in to the context of my worldview? My American ideology. How do I fit this in? And that'll be my God. But here's the problem. If you find find that you never have God's instruction putting you at an inconvenience, you're serving a version of a God. You're not serving the true God. You're serving your own version of God. Because something about faith 
has to put you in a place where God leads you and guides you and sometimes it brushes against what you want it to be. Sometimes it takes you down paths you don't want to travel. Sometimes it puts you in a risky place where you have to trust God to get you out of it. That is faith. Everything else is just a perversion of that truth. So be dangerously careful. Be careful of the danger of allowing yourself to take God and putting Him in the context of your world instead of allowing God to transform your world. And that is really the danger of the season. It's fear and convenience because fear will cause you to act in ways that go against what God wants done in your life. And convenience will cause you to take what God is wanting to do and you manipulate it and massage it into such a way that it fits comfortably into your life. But God is not there for your comfort. He's there and He will give you comfort. But he's not there just to be comfortable in your life. He's there to change your life. And a promise in Jeroboam's life was destroyed because of fear and convenience. And another promise was put in its place. 1 Kings 13, 1-5 give us the example. He's established worship in the high places. They have a temple in Dan and in Bethel. They have... Uh, these golden calves that they're worshiping. And behold, a man of God went from Judah. A man of God had to come from all the way outside of the kingdom to go to Bethel where they were at. A man of God from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord. Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense and then he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you and men's bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign that same day saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Surely the altar shall split apart, and the ashes on it shall be poured out. So it came to pass when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the men of God, man of God, who cried out against the altar in Bethel, that he stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Arrest him. Then his hand, which he stretched out toward him, withered, so that he could not pull it back to himself. And the altar also was split apart, the ashes poured out from the altar, according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. Because of fear and convenience, because of turning his back on God, another promise is put in Jeroboam's life. Promise of destruction. A promise that there would be a kingdom torn from his hands also. This promise would be fulfilled. It's one of the great prophecies of the Bible. 350 years after the promise is made. 350 years. Jeroboam would spend his entire life struggling with the idea that right around the corner 
somebody is coming to take his kingdom. 350 years later, it happens. But what's interesting is the day that Jeroboam had a promise given to him of becoming king, God gave him a sign in a torn coat. The day that the promise was taken away and a curse was put in place, there was a sign in a broken altar and a withered hand. God gives signs with his promises. Just as those torn garments were a sign that he would rule a kingdom of ten tribes, which God was faithful to and made happen, even though he could have known Jeroboam was going to do exactly what he did. God still went through on his promise. The broke altar was a sign that God would destroy a false religion. The withered hand was a sign that Jeroboam's kingdom would come to an end, that his hand, his reach would be drawn in. Even with all of this, Jeroboam could have repented. That's the thing about God is he's full of grace. He is full of grace. And so while I preach today a very stern message and a direct warning to people that may be listening, what I am talking about is that even though there is an opportunity to ruin a promise, there is a God of grace that even whenever it seems like it's all messed up, you always have opportunity to turn around. Jeroboam could have repented. God went to the extent of bringing an unnamed messenger with a sign of God's grace from a great way off to speak directly to Jeroboam and shake his world up. And Jeroboam could have heeded the message, but instead of heeding the message, he he sought instead to silence the messenger when he said, you just arrest him. We're not going to hear this. So you may be allowing fear and convenience to guide some of your spiritual decisions. You may be allowing it to wreck some promises God has in your life for your future. But there's always an opportunity to repent. There's time to repent. And if you're listening today, talking mainly to people who are online, if you've not followed God's plan of salvation, it's time for you to do it. The, light, the hour is late. The days are coming to a close. God is getting closer and ever than ever before now to fulfilling his promise of returning. He will return soon. And if you've not been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, it's time to take action. It's time to quit sitting on the sideline and wondering, should I do this? It's time to step up and wash away your sins. It is time to take action. It's time to trust God. If you've not received the promise of the Holy Spirit, it's time to seek God for that promise in your life. And God will give it to you with a sign, just like He does all of His promises. When you repent of your sins and you ask Him to fill you with the Holy Spirit and you begin to pray, Praise Him for it and accept the gift that He's trying to give in your life. You feel His presence come on you. He starts to give you the Spirit. You begin to speak in a tongue that you had not known before as the Spirit guides you. That is a sign for what God is doing in your life and in your heart. You have to allow it to happen. The baptism of the Holy Spirit itself is a sign that God is sealing you. That's what scripture says. It says he sealed you for redemption. Ephesians 4 and 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption.
were sealed for the day of redemption. 2 Corinthians 1, 20 through 22. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him amen to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ has anointed us is God, who has also sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. What does that mean? The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a guarantee. That what he says he's going to do, he will do. That the healing he's promised you, you may not get it in this life, I can't guarantee you that, but he will heal you. There is a day where there will be no more sickness, no more pain, no more suffering. Why? Because he has given us a guarantee. All of his promises that are in him are yes and amen. Why? To the glory of God through us. And so I'm talking to someone today and I'm telling you, you have a promise in your life, but you do not need to let fear, the spirit of fear and the spirit of convenience interrupt what God is wanting to do in your life. gracious God that we serve you'll stand with me we're going to give the spirit of the Lord that is here an opportunity to speak to us to minister to us God this is a great day for your people your hand is upon your church your hand is upon your people God, right now, while the spirit of fear is operating in this world and the spirit of convenience is trying to draw people in, you're looking at your people and you're saying, just hold on. Just keep trusting me. Do what I've called you to do. Walk in my ways. Follow me. Hear my voice. And I'm going to fulfill in your life all of those promises. I'm going to do exactly what I said I would do. Don't let the voice of fear, don't let the voice of convenience try and rob you of it. Don't don't let the spirit that's operating in this world set up a convenient religion for you in your life. I know it's hard, but just trust me. I'm working, working. God, you see every person here. You see every person who's watching online. I pray in Jesus' name that your spirit would move into this place with signs, with miracles, to prove your word, Lord. God, let your spirit move into this place the way that I felt it whenever you started dealing with me, preparing this sermon. God, draw us to a place of repentance if we need to repent. God, draw us to a place of strength if we need faith to be increased in our life. I pray it right now in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. If you're here and you would like to come to the altar, I want to invite you to come. We'll pray with you. God will respond. At home, I want to invite you to join with us in praying. If you're staying in your seat, I want to 
want to invite you to pray, entertain the presence of the Lord. Let God speak to you. Let that voice that brought up something in your life, let him have his way. Put that thing on the altar. Don't put a substitute there. Put it before God and let him take it. Let him have it in the name of Jesus Christ. There's not a mountain too tall.